Good morning. I'd like to repeat the welcome that was made by Richard. It is so good for us, Richard, excuse me, Ronnie. <laughs> it is so good for us to be gathered together here this morning, be come at, to, to be able to come out here to sing these praises of, uh, of worship to God, to remember the death of, of His Son Jesus, uh, as, as Richard led our minds in the, in the Lord's Supper, and to lift up and consider one another, to esteem one another higher than ourselves, and to seek the, the encouragement that we receive from being together. For those of you that are visiting with us, we just like to say how thankful we are that you have chosen to be here. It is always of great encouragement. Uh, and, as, and as Ronnie pointed out, and if you, you haven't already taken the opportunity to do so, to, to fill out a, a visitor card so that we can just have a, a remembrance of the time you're here with us and, and be able to send you a card and thank you for the time that you were here with us as well. We've been speaking about a topic for the last couple of weeks, this idea of, of the victory that is won in, in faith. We find that in 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 through 5, and we won't go back, there, there's a lot of overlap in these lessons, so there will be, be many scriptures that I referenced this morning, and if you're taking notes, it would be very good and wise to maybe write those down, because we won't be turning to all of them, since we've recently spoken about several of them. But this one, 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 through 5, talks about the victory that Christians have in faith, uh, in the faith of Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God. And that victory allows us to overcome the world. And the world, in that sense, is anything that separates us or hinders us in our service to God. Now, we saw in a previous study how that could include things such as sin. The sins of the world that, that hinder and separate us from God can be overcome through faith in Jesus. The guilt of sin, the power of sin to ensnare, to, to encapsulate us, can be overcome through the blood of Christ and through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we find reference to that in Acts chapter 2. When we read in verse 39, the promise, the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call, as many who will believe in Jesus, truly believe, they have such blessings made available to them. But in overcoming sin, we also find that we must usually deal with the aftershocks of sin. So oftentimes that sin has consequences. Maybe we think back to David and Bathsheba and the sin of looking at, and, and he, as he lusted over Bathsheba and then committed adultery and even went as far as to have her husband murdered. But he repented of that and yet there were still lasting consequences. A child was born from that relationship and the child ultimately died as a punishment uh, to, to the sins that were committed. And we see the lingering consequences of sinful conduct in many different things. But we also need to realize that there can also be, there can be residues of sinful thinking in our mind, attitudes and perspectives that, that conflict with a life of faith in Jesus. Now, I mentioned some of those in a previous lesson, things such as, as even boredom and despair, loneliness. And I want to spend some time looking at each one of these but this morning, I hope to help us gain a better understanding of, of one in particular, and that is anxiety, and how by, by having an appreciation for the faith in Jesus can help us to overcome anxiety. And I think we should probably begin with just understanding what we're talking about when we speak of anxiety. The National Institute of Mental Health, an organization known as NIM they record that there are over 43 million cases of mental health disorders in the U.S. alone. 43 million, and of that, 23 million are related to anxiety, 
disorders. That's more than half of the mental health issues that, that we face in this country are related in some way to anxiety. People with anxiety disorders are oftentimes heavily utilizing emergency services such as the emergency room and medical services, and they find that it disrupts their work, it disrupts their family life, their social lives, and in some cases even causes people to become housebound. It's a very, if not the most, common form of mental disorder. And I want to say before we go any farther that Christians are not immune to anxiety. Sometimes I have heard these just outlandish claims to say that if you're, if you're a true Christian, you won't have anxiety. Or if you experience anxiety, that means that you, just, you must not really believe. And these things are not true. In fact, Jesus anticipated that His disciples would suffer with anxiety, and so He provided solutions to it. Because just as anxiety disrupts work, and it disrupts family life and, and, and all of these other things, it also can disrupt and hinder our service to the Lord. <clears throat> now, in understanding anxiety, we need, to, we need to define it. The American Heritage Dictionary says it's a state of intense apprehension and intense uncertainty or fear resulting from anticipation of a threatening event or situation often to the degree that normal physical and, and psychological function of the affected individual is disrupted. What that basically means is <clears throat> anxiety is this, it's a state of uneasiness. It's a state of, of apprehension about things that we're just not for sure about, things in the future that we, that we are not confirmed, but we have these, these thoughts about them that, that affect us even to a physical level, can make us physically sick, but certainly can make us uh, uh, impaired or, or damaged even. In our, in our psyche. Now, according to NIM, there are different kinds of, of anxiety disorders. Panic disorders is one that, that many deal with. This repeated episodes of intense fear that strike often without warning. Physical symptoms include things such as chest pains, dizziness, heart palpitations, shortness of breath, abdominal distress, uh, distress feelings of unreality, and even feelings of, of fear or, or a fear of dying. Now, I'll go ahead and, and make a confession during this sermon. This one affects me. This is one that I've struggled with in the past. As many of you know, the, the trouble I've had with my joints for, for some time now. And it wasn't that long ago. As I lay awake in bed night after night after night, terrified of what, that might, what might be the cause of all this pain that I'm having. Could it be this or could it be that? What if I die from it? What if, who's going to raise my children? What, who's going to help them see the truth of the gospel and bring them to, to Christ? All of these thoughts just completely overwhelming until I, I, I couldn't sleep and I just made myself physically sick. This is a very real problem. Panic disorder. It's something that many people have experienced. Obsessive compulsive disorder. I know several people who, who suffer from this. This is persistent symptoms that occur after, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that uh, involve repeated unwanted thoughts or compulsive behaviors that seem impossible to stop or impossible to control. Another very common one that we see oftentimes in our world today is the post-traumatic stress disorder. And this is uh, something that occurs in experience to a traumatic event of some sort, whether it be criminal assault 
or war or child abuse, maybe even natural disasters or, or just an accident, a crash or something, nightmares and flashbacks and this numbing down of emotions, even depression and feelings of, of anger and irritability and, and, and being distracted or easily startled. These are all common aspects of PTSD. And then they also describe phobias as an anxiety disorder. Now, there are two different types of phobias. There's a specific phobia where one um, has a, 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 they experience an extreme disabling or irrational fear of something that poses little or no actual danger to them. And that fear leads them to avoid these objects or situations and, and can severely limit their lives unnecessarily. I know someone who, who has this, uh, a phobia of, of bridges. And because of that, they, they map out their, their, their course of, of travel. And if there's a bridge in the way, they can't go that way. And if there's no other way to go, either they're not going or somebody else is going to have to drive them across that bridge because they're physically unable to control the fear, at least that's the way they feel, and, and be able to cross that. The other type, that's specific phobias, but the other type is social phobias, in which people have an overwhelming or disabling fear, <coughs> excuse me, of scrutiny, of embarrassment, of humiliation uh, in social situations. It oftentimes leads to the avoidance of, of situations uh, that are possibly very pleasurable or very meaningful activities of life. And then finally, there's what is the most common form of an anxiety disorder, and that's just simply generalized anxiety disorder. A constant, exaggerated, uh, worrisome thoughts and tensions about just everyday, routine life events and activities. This uh, something that lasts over a period of time and almost always is in involving anticipating the worst uh, event that could possibly happen, even though there's very little reason to expect such an event to happen. It's accompanied with also physical symptoms such as fatigue and headaches and trembling, even muscle tension and nausea. So the, this is the way that the, the world defines anxiety. And this is what many people in the world have to deal with. And they know that some of the causes from anxiety come from sometimes our own thoughts, our own minds, perceived threats, whether it's the, the one of, of our, our personal safety, what we, we uh, uh, imagine might happen to us physically, or maybe it's a, a threat to our self-esteem, our self-worth, the image that we have, that, that something might damage that image, or a perceived threat with our relationships with others, our loved ones, our friends, what that might mean for us. A perceived threat oftentimes causes anxiety in people. Pressures presented by conflicts. Uh, a great example of this, a, a good friend of mine that I, that I worked with for a while before I, uh, when I was at Lockheed Martin, he, he had an opportunity to, to kind of climb the corporate ladder. He had an opportunity to move up to a, a position that was higher than ours. And, and I remember a day as he sat down and we were working together and he just he was almost immobilized in the corner just thinking about the, the consequences of this decision because there was two desirable outcomes. One was to stay where I am and there's, there's no stress here. This is an easy job. We just do what we're told and we get paid. But the other one was if I go here, there's, there's room for me to grow. There's more money involved and there's a future, uh, a better future involved in this job. And he just basically sat in a corner and rocked. He said, I, I just don't know what decision to make. And then for days on end, he, he had so much trouble and even made him, made him sick thinking about this. Or another example we might find is sometimes you find people who have been injured uh, and they're just like, well, I'm, I'm in pain now and I want the pain to go away, but if I go to the doctor, they're probably going to tell me I need to have surgery. 
And what if there's complications with the surgery? And, and so now we have a similar outcome. We have two things that have undesirable outcomes. And, and that, lead, that conflict leads to pressure and to anxiety. And then the other, the other cause that is oftentimes, and these are just three common causes, are underlying fears. Fears of, of failure. Sometimes even fears of success. I've met people who say, well, I'm afraid to do that because once I do it, what's left? Where do I go from there? Fear of rejection or of intimacy or, or, or sickness or, or loneliness. Fear of the future. Or even fear of looking back on my life and saying, what was the point? What did I accomplish? It was meaningless. These are some of the causes of anxiety. And the way they are treated today are in... Are in three different, uh, different areas. One is the use of medication. And medication is useful for relieving the symptoms. Sometimes they'll be described antidepressants, and they're usually administered in a very trial and error type way to see which medication works best and what dosage works best with, with the patient. You also have uh, psychotherapy is the other way. And now, psychotherapy has changed over the years. There, you know, we go back in history, there was a time when psychotherapy and viewed uh, in, involved the means of things such as shock therapy and such as water therapy, things that we look at now and go, well, that's, that's very barbaric. That's, that, that's, that's certainly uh, unconstitutional, even criminal in some ways where people would have been, have been submerged in water for great lengths of time or shocked until they, until they exhibited the right sort of behavior that the, the administrator was looking for. But at the day and time, that was considered a, a common and, and sometimes necessary means of, uh, of treatment for what they oftentimes refer to as hysteria, but exemplified uh, a lot of the, the traits of anxiety. But psychotherapy has changed very much into our day where we have it in, in mainly two different forms. The first one is behavioral therapy. Behavioral therapy tries to change the actions with techniques such as uh, diaphragmatic breathing, to, to control your breathing, control your heart rate, um, and, and also to have gradual exposure. I mentioned uh, the, the person afraid of the bridges. We maybe start with just showing them pictures of bridges. And then, and then maybe take them to a bridge. And look, look, there's nothing dangerous. There's cars going over that bridge all day long. In fact, let's walk out on the bridge. Maybe a little bit later, let's get in a car and let's, let's stop on the bridge. And, and, and just to, to, to slowly show them, the, uh, try to show, change their behavior by exposing them to what is frightening to them. And then the second way that psychotherapy is used is a way called cognitive behavioral therapy. In this way, it teaches a patient to understand their thinking patterns, help them to react differently to the situations that cause them anxiety. What the cognitive behavioral therapy wants is it wants them to recognize when they're having an, an episode of anxiety and change the way they react to that scenario by understanding what's causing it. Now, treating anxiety with medication and, and this, is, this is just a fact, not, not thrown out to point any opinion, but simply put, it only relieves the symptoms. Now, that has led some to say, well, it's, it's not necessary. But certainly there are instances when that is necessary to, to try and relieve symptoms that are so great, but it doesn't address the core issue, the cause. But sometimes medication is needed so that the cause can be, can be reached and can be solved, but it won't solve it on its own. It's the same way behavioral therapy. Behavioral therapy focuses primarily on the symptoms of the problem. But what is called cognitive behavioral therapy 
That appears to address, appears to at least be focusing on the underlying cause of the anxiety. And it's in that realm that I believe we can find that faith in Jesus can really help us to overcome anxiety. But why is that important? Why does that matter? Why is it so important to overcome anxiety? Well, we've already mentioned that it does affect our life. It does affect our service. But I want you to consider how it also reflects a little faith on our part. Two passages that we'll be looking at in a little bit more detail later. Matthew chapter 6, verse 30. <clears throat> the words of Jesus when he says, Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And in fact... Over in, in chapter 8, we see another example of this. And, and it might be tempting for us to look at that and say, well, he's talking about food and clothing there. And yes, that is little faith to, to, to be so anxious, to be so worried about, about a meal or about clothing. Uh, these things that are, are, are abundant in our society, but they're not abundant in all societies. There's plenty of places around the world where people are, are terribly worried about where their next meal is going to come from. Terribly worried about the clothes on their backs as they, as they are, are worn and disintegrated and begin to have holes. What am I going to wear? What's not just fashionably, what's going to cover my body? Those are very real problems. But maybe you say, well, that's not a problem for me. And that, that does reflect little faith. But what about our lives? I mean, my, my life is in danger. As I said, I was, I was laying up at night being worried, worrying about what, what might happen to me. Well, consider what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew 8, and in verse 25, we, we, we see the, the, the context here is they are in a boat on, on, the, on the sea, on the Sea of Galilee, and the water has been churned up. A storm has come, and the waves have risen high, and they're doing everything they can to keep the boat afloat, and it's becoming apparent we're, we might not make it through this. We might die. And so they go, and they wake up Jesus in verse 25. They came to Him and woke Him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And He said to them, Why are you fearful of your life? Why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? This is a reflection of our faith. Whenever we are overcome by anxiety, when it is gripping us, it is a reflection of our faith. And I'm reminded of a quote that I read by a man named George Mueller. He was a British minister, but he was also a, a, a uh, he ran an orphanage in, in Britain. And it was interesting the things they said about him because he was complained about so much because he raised the poor above that which was their state. He was able to take people who had literally nothing, sometimes not even a family, no money, no food, and to raise them to a place where they, they reacted and, and they behaved like the, the, the so-called elite of the society. And people didn't like that. This was the man that, that, that said this quote. I, I really enjoyed it. He said, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. Now, he didn't say anxiety just obliterates faith. But the beginning of anxiety, as we allow to let anxiety grip us and to control us, that is the end. It is the, the dwindling down of our faith. But the beginning of true faith, that is the end of anxiety. And he could say a statement like that because he understood and was remembering what true faith in Jesus entails. We talked about this in a prior lesson, so we're not going to turn to each one of these verses. If you'd like to jot them down, I would, I would recommend that. 
<clears throat> but we should remember what true faith in Jesus entails. One, it entails in remembering just who Jesus is. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 16, we learn that Jesus is the Son of God. In John 6, verse 68, we learn that He is the one source, the only source for eternal life. But when we remember who He is, we also need to remember who the Son, the Son of God, what He said. In John 8, verse 31 and 32, we learn that He speaks the word of truth. And it's the truth that makes you free. We talked about that last week, about, or the week before last, excuse me, about how that, that truth sets us free from the power of sin and from the guilt of sin. It gives us a way out. But also we learn in John chapter 1 that His words are, are the words of grace and the words of truth. We remember what He said. We also need to remember what He did. Richard mentioned it this morning during the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3 tells us and reminds us of His death on the cross. A death not for the sins He committed, but a death... <coughs> A death for the sins that we committed. And his death was adequate. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. These passages tell us over and over again his death was, was a capable sacrifice to cover the sins that we have committed, to erase the sin that we have committed. But that's what he did. We also need to remember what he's doing right now. In John 14, verse 2, he said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. He is preparing a place for those who will belong to Him. And during that time, Hebrews 7 reveals to us that not only is He working to prepare a place for His children, for, for the bride of Christ, but He is also interceding on our behalf. He is going to, to our great and our holy God. He is going to the Creator of, of the universe and He is speaking on our behalf and He understands the life that we live because He has been here and He has dealt with it. And he has prayed that prayer, not thy will, my will, but your will be done. He understands the pain of this life. But we also need to remember what he's going to do. In Acts chapter 1, after he, after he was ascended back into heaven, the angels spoke to the men and they said, why do you keep looking at the heavens? Don't you know in the same way that he ascended, he is one day going to return? He's coming back. He's coming back because he's prepared a place and he's coming back to gather those who belong to him in, 1 John, or in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, so that they may be with him in heaven together. In fact, Romans 10, verse 17 tells us this kind of faith, true faith, comes from the word of God. It comes from hearing his word, listening to it, allowing it to flow in our lives and to, to permeate our thinking. And in such a way... Jesus helps us to deal with anxiety through the things that he taught. Now, if you're still in Matthew 6, if not, flip back over there. Matthew chapter 6. Let's consider the first thing he teaches us here in Matthew 6 in, in dealing with anxiety, and that is to remind us of the providential care of God. Verse 25 says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is, life, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they, are they, neither, uh, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
Now, if God so clothes the, the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Jesus's teaching reminds us that God loves us and that God cares for us. And he provided the body and the life. He created Adam out of the dust of the ground. He breathed life into his nostrils. And every birth that, that takes, has taken place afterwards repeats that miracle of life given by God to the body. Can't he take care of our, of our needs? He even points out here that he takes care of the, the birds and the grass. And not too long we're going to see as this grass withered and brown returns to life. In the spring, as it, as, it, as it begins to grow again and it's bright green, we see that God is still sustaining His creation. And as the birds begin to, to once again uh, to, to give birth, and I, as, as every year the, the apple tree will have a nest in it and we'll be reminding the kids over and over again, you, you leave the eggs alone, you leave the baby birds alone. But what we see in that, again, God taking care of His creation. And if it, <laughs> If he takes care of the birds and of the grass, won't he take care of those that are made in his image? Won't we take care of man? Jesus reminds us that God is mindful of our true needs and God is able to provide. Now, one thing that's important for us to remember is our true needs might not be our true wants. Something that I, I had to be hit square in the face with to, to come with an understanding of. As, as I lay in, in bed at night and I worried and worried and was just, just gripped by this anxiety. and Someone finally had to come to me and say, your true need in life, it's not life. I needed to hear that. I needed to remember that I, I need many things in this life, but one of them is not life. Now, if someone comes in with a gun and says, Kyle, you, you have to choose live or die. I'm going to choose live each and every time. But God provides for my true needs. The things that I, that I need more than anything in this, in this world, He provides for. They are in His ever-capable hands. Hands that are able to do far more than we, can, than we can ever dream and than we can ever think. He is the one that cares for us and provides. And so Jesus' next teaching then helps us to shift our priorities. In verse 33, after saying that God knows that you need all these things, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The things that you truly need will be added to you. He knows what you need, and they will be added when you seek first the kingdom or the rule. What is a kingdom? It's the place in which the king rules the land. Seek first the rule of God in our life, for this is the most important thing. Put him first. And he will provide for our true needs. Maybe I, I know I'm reminded of the account as Jesus traveled into Bethany and he met his good friends there, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And, and during this time, Martha is just buzzing around the house and she, she's cleaning and she's baking a meal. And, and Mary, she looks out and Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him speak. And she says, Jesus, why don't you, why don't you tell Mary to help me? Look what I'm doing. Why don't you tell Mary to help me? And he says, Martha. Martha, Martha, Mary has chosen. She has chosen what is best. 
There is one thing that is needed, and Mary is, is getting it. That is the Word of God, the bread of life, the manna from heaven. What God provides is our true need. But He doesn't stop there. He goes on in His teachings to reveal one more thing, and that is the limitations that we have as feeble human creations. He says, therefore, do not worry, in verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. So don't worry about the future, because you can only handle, you can only face what you're dealt with today. In keeping with Jesus, what Jesus said here, there have been many quotes that have, that have, that have sprung up from this. Uh, some of the ones that I, I really appreciated uh, this one by someone who is unknown says, the ship is, Your ship is equal to the load of today, but when you're carrying yesterday's worries and tomorrow's anxiety, lighten up or you will sink. I like that one. Another one by a man named Theodore Ledyard Cooler said, God never built a Christian strong enough to carry today's duties and tomorrow's anxieties piled on top of them. But the one that just really struck a chord with me the most, one that I, I heard and, and, and really helped me to, to kind of focus my mind back on what Jesus was saying right here, was one by a man named William Arthur Ward. He said, man, like a bridge, was designed to carry the load of the moment, not the combined weight of a year at once. Each and every day, each and every moment, we have responsibilities. We have responsibility to God. We have a, a call to faithfully follow after Him, to walk... <coughs> in the footsteps of Christ. And if we are so focused on the what-ifs of what might have happened and the things that have happened in the past, that it distracts us from the moment that we have today to follow after God, to trust in Him, and to keep His commandments. Anxiety is beginning to overcome us. But if we will think of Jesus' teachings, we can begin to overcome anxiety. We also must think about His actions, what He has done. Specifically, we might be reminded of what He has done in the past. By dying on the cross, He paid the price in full for our sins. Any anxiety maybe about our guilt, about things that we have done, past actions, they can be relieved when we understand that true forgiveness comes through the blood of Christ. In fact, over in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14, it says, How much more, when He talks about the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifer, uh, it talks about the old in the old law. These things sanctified for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, can cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Maybe if 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 our if our anxiety is built up in things that happened, things that we did in the past, that anxiety can be eradicated if we just remember that the blood of Christ completely covers those things. They are gone. And forgiveness, as Acts chapter 10 tells us, forgiveness comes to those who believe. Acts chapter 10 and verse 43. This passage says to him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Acts chapter 2 is the example of how that works. Whoever believes shall have remission of sin. Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Peter says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. When they heard this, they believed. 
They believe that the man that we have crucified was Jesus the Christ. He was the Son of God, and we have killed him. And they said, men and brethren, what do we do? And Peter's answer to them was, repent. Turn around. Turn from the life you're living where you are, the, are your own Lord, you are your master, and turn to Christ as your Lord and master. Follow Him. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, so that you might be forgiven. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But we also know that not only did he die, he was also resurrected. He demonstrated power even over death. And as John 5 tells us, he ensures our own resurrection. John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29 says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. My friend who, who smacked me in the face with this truth, and he was very blunt, he didn't hold punches, uh, he didn't sugarcoat it. And he reminded me, What happens if you die? We know that the resurrection is there. The resurrection is real. Is the resurrection into a life far better than this life that we live now. And it did help to begin focusing more on that and focusing less on my, on, on my fear that I had now. To focus more on the hope that I have in Christ. To help focus on the eternity that I can spend with God the Father. He ensures our resurrection. But as Hebrew 2 points out also, by His overcoming death, He also frees us from our bondage in the fear of death. Hebrews 2 verse 14, And as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, He Himself likewise shared in the same, that through death He might destroy him who had power over death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. These are the things that Jesus did in the past. In the present, He is our high priest. He makes it impossible, as Hebrews 4 tells us, <coughs> in verses 14 through 16, saying, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In the present, He is our high priest. And He is providing an avenue of peace to dispel our anxiety through prayer. Philippians chapter 4, it says that we are to be thankful in all things. We are to go to God with thanksgiving and we are to ask Him for the peace that can, that can guard our hearts. How many times at night that I prayed that prayer? Please just, just guard me from this. This anxiety that I have, protect me from it. But he's also reigning today as our king, as the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Over in, Ro in, in the book of Revelation, we've been studying this. <coughs> as we've been studying this, we've come to realize the book of Revelation is a book of hope, a book of, of, of overcoming. And what better book to understand than and then when we are gripped in anxiety to know there is hope and there is, there is life better. And in, Roman, in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, we find out, we read about Jesus the Christ, 
who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. He has authority over all the kingdoms, over, over all the political leaders, over all the, the provid, uh, providential leaders. He has greater authority than these. But in, verse, in the same chapter, in verse 17 and 18, it says, I saw him, speaking of Jesus still, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of Hades and of death. Not only does he have all authority over all those who rule, he has authority over death itself. He overcame. He conquered death. And as the ruler of the kings of the earth and as the ruler over death, he has ultimate control or all authority has been given to him. Lastly, we should do well to remember our, that what He does for us in the future. In Matthew chapter 28, as He gave that commission to, to His apostles, a commission that certainly uh, is included to all those who would follow after Him, to go into the world, to preach the gospel, to baptize and to teach those about what it means to follow Jesus. And He tells, and he tells them at the end of that, of that commission, He says, remember, I will be with you always. He's saying, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. You follow my will. And no matter what comes, I will be there for you. I will be taking care of you. And as we've already seen, that I will take your, your, your cares and your concerns and your thanksgivings and I will place them in the ever-capable hands of God. He has promised to never forsake us. In John chapter 14, He has promised to one day come back and get us. We are not forgotten. We're not the forgotten children of God. We are the waiting children of God, waiting on our King, waiting on the bridegroom to return to take his bride home. When one has faith in Jesus, that means one is willing to change their thinking patterns, to change their conduct, to reflect his teaching. Now, so oftentimes we, we look at this and say, well, that, doesn't, that works for most things. We understand that for sin, but that doesn't work for things like anxiety. But it's obvious through Jesus' own words, that His power is not limited to just the physical things that are done. He has the power to change people from the inside out, to completely turn their lives around. And that includes what He has, what he has done before, what He is doing now, and what He will do one day. That, that, can, that if we will trust in that, or if we will have faith in Him, then we can begin to attack the underlying causes of anxiety. Might we still struggle with it? Absolutely. But those were the words of Jesus to the, to the churches in Revelation. Not that things are just going to be peachy. Things are going to be great and you're never going to have troubles. He said, no, we have to overcome. And so for us to overcome anything, but even anxiety, we have to recognize that it's a road in which we can travel. We can reach the goal, but only with the power that comes through the true faith in Jesus. One last thought I would have you consider before we, before we wrap up this lesson is that it is Jesus' desire that we not let such things as anxiety control us. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 14, we read about the parable of the sower and of the seeds. And the sower threw seed on the ground and it landed sometimes in a rocky place and sometimes along the way where birds ate it. And one time it landed by the, by the thorns. And that seed actually produced a, a, a crop. 
And it grew up, but the thorns overpowered it. They took all of its nourishment, and it was choked out, and it died. In Luke chapter 8, and in verse 14, Jesus is explaining what that meant. He said that seed that landed on the soil, the thorny soil, was like the one who receives the word of God, and they go out into the world, but then they are choked out by the cares of the world and by the riches and the pleasures. Jesus understood then, as we need to understand now, anxiety Anxiety can choke us out. Anxiety can make us unfruitful. Anxiety can allow us to never mature. But He has made it possible to overcome that anxiety. Through a faith in Him which comes through studying the Word of God, Romans 10, 17, and through prayer which guards our hearts from things just like anxiety, which we read about in Philippians chapter 4. Are we willing to believe? Are we willing to heed Jesus' words on this matter? If so, then truly faith is the victory to overcoming anxiety. This morning, if you, have not, if you have not yet become a child of God, if you have not believed on Him and that Jesus is the Son of God, the, the living Son of God who died and yet was resurrected, if you have not believed in such a way as to change your life, to quit following the path that, that you think is right and you think is best, but rather follow the path that He leads us on, if you have not believed enough to garner a response of obedience, obedience to things such as baptism, which provides our forgiveness for the sins, if you have not done these things yet, then you are not overcoming. There, there, there is not the victory of faith, and there is not the hope of eternal life in heaven with God, but rather the hope of a wrathful judgment. But that doesn't mean that that is your fixed state. The promise that was given to those men who had murdered the Son of God, who had nailed Him to the cross, who had spit on Him, who had humiliated Him. The promise to them that you can be forgiven, you can repent, and you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You can receive the relationship with God that allows us to overcome sin and overcome everything that can hinder us. It was given to them and it was given to all those who are far off, as many as God would call, as many that would truly believe. You have the opportunity this morning to take advantage of that. I would encourage you, don't delay, do not wait. Whatever we can do to help you in that, please let it be known right now as we stand and as we sing.